this is really an 18-year strategy, and that's a little bit, um, you know, alarming for some people, especially in our instant gratification culture we're in, yeah. where people want to see results tomorrow. But if we're truly going to have this cradle-through career continuum that we're supporting, then it's not even five years from now. Five years from now, the work's just beginning. If we can show that we can get kids kindergarten ready, now how do we keep them on grade level from then on out and, and get kids out of this cycle of catch-up that we're in right now? But if you look at third grade reading, if you look at middle school scores and our uh, college and career ready rates across the district, then over half our kids are not on grade level uh, at any of those milestones. So it's not just about getting kids on grade level when they enter school. How do we keep them there for the next 13 years? Two years ago, we launched the Camp House podcast with an episode exploring Chattanooga 2.0. Today, we are circling back to check in on their progress with Executive Director Jared Bingham. In our conversation, Jared shares the strengths of the coalition's work, the impact of Dr. Johnson's leadership in HCDE, and what he has learned about the community two years into this very important, very hard work. This is the Camp House Podcast, and I'm your host, Matt Busby. Well, Jared, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So the, the podcast now is uh, is two years old, and um, and we started with an episode uh, featuring Jared and talking about Chattanooga 2.0. And you guys are now just over two years old as well, right? That's that's correct. That's good. And um, you know, as much as uh, I've I've loved doing the podcast, uh, <laughs> your organization has certainly had a much bigger impact, thankfully, um, because your goal is much bigger than mine. But uh, it's been two years since I've had you on the podcast, and, uh, and I just want to invite you back to kind of get an update and uh, hear how things are going with Chattanooga 2.0. Absolutely. I think the easiest way to start is, I know you recently wrote an opinion piece uh, for the Times Free Press, where you really uh, just kind of answer some basic questions, and I'd like to go through that almost as a recap for our listeners who maybe didn't listen to the podcast two years ago, or, you know, I think, we're, I think we have like 80-something episodes now, so the idea of listening back on the catalog might be a little bit daunting. Um, but in this article for, Ch- for the Times Free Press, you know, you answer some really basic questions. I want to start there. You know, what is the history of Chattanooga 2.0? How did this get started? Yeah, and actually the rationale for that opinion piece was um, that some people still have a question about what 2.0 is, what's the mission, um, is it just K-12 education, is it early childhood, is it workforce development, so uh, I felt like we were at a natural point to revisit how we got started and, and what our mission was, so uh, stepping back a little bit and just giving the 50,000-foot view of, of how 2.0 started, it really started as a workforce development initiative uh, led by the Chamber of Commerce, Hamilton County Schools, the Benwood Foundation, and the Public Education Foundation that rallied around this moment in the community uh, that said um, we've got to do more to support our local talent pipeline so that our community members, our students that are graduating from Hamilton County Schools can access the opportunities that are out there. So, uh, Because in your guys' study, if I remember this right from two years ago, 
you know, what you guys kind of, uh, there's actually a, a, a significant number of living wage jobs in Hamilton County. In fact, that percentage is higher than Nashville, Knoxville, or Memphis. Um, however, <laughs> we didn't have the local residents to fill those living wage jobs. Absolutely. If you just looked on a per skills basis and looked at the jobs that were uh, being advertised and the skills that were required to uh, be able to access those jobs, and then you compared that to the the credentials that were in the community amongst our community members there were 15,000 jobs at that time that couldn't be filled by local residents due to a lack of skills or credentials so there was a significant gap between what the workforce was demanding and what our local residents and and the talent pipelines we had could provide yeah so so i'm curious about that like okay if, if we're um just missing secondary credentials. Why wasn't the scope of this simply focused on, okay, we need to improve our community colleges and what that offers. We need to make sure we get high schoolers to go on to Chat State, go on to UTC. Um, How did the scope grow so wide to go from, as you guys put it, cradle to career? Uh, And and it would seem like uh, a no-brainer that we just need to get more kids registered for post-secondary, just push more kids through community college or UTC or the TCATs. But as we looked at it, we found that uh, we had a lot of kids registering for post-secondary or adults registering for post-secondary, but they weren't completing post-secondary because they weren't equipped with those college and career-ready skills. So we backed it up and said, okay, we need to do some significant triaging in high school. And then as we looked at high school, we said, well, you know, it's really dependent on our middle schools uh, and the feeder pattern that's coming into our high schools and looked at elementary. And eventually we just said, you know what, we've got a significant number of our population, actually over half our population that uh, of kids that are registering for kindergarten that aren't ready to learn on day one. Only 42% at that time were ready to learn on day one. So uh, we realized pretty quickly that we had to take the long view of this and we couldn't just fill a gap at one end of the continuum that we needed to start supporting cradle through career and really mean that and so we we actually start at birth with some of our programs now and goes all the way through post-secondary yeah and we'll get to, into some of those exact programs and the successes you guys have had in the last two years but really that led you guys to this sort of three-tiered focus of uh, early childhood education k-12 to and then post-secondary um and you know really quick before we go on i really want to state these two bold goals um uh, just so people kind of know what the the hope is, what the end metrics are. That if if Chattanooga is successful, this is this is what it's going to look like in a few years. And uh, you you want to? Yeah, and so in all the work we do and strategies that we have are aligned towards these goals. One is that we want to double the number of Hamilton County graduates that obtain a post secondary credential within six years of graduating. Uh, And we were around 30-something percent uh, three years ago when our first report came out. And then uh, we would love to get that up into the almost 70 percent by 2025. And then as a community-wide goal, we'd like for 75 percent of community members to have a market value credential of some kind. Yeah, so, I mean, I will say um, since we last talked – 
you know, um, so that, that second goal is to increase the overall percentage of adults getting uh, technical training from 38% to 75% by 2025. You know, since this first conversation two years ago, my wife has finished one of those uh, credentials and uh, is now, you know, pushing on even further than that. So that's uh, it's just fun to see how... Well, I'm glad your family's doing their part <laughs> yeah, to help yeah. us where I go. Exactly. <laughs> so, so much of what you guys are doing with Chattanooga 2.0 is really tooling um, people within Hamilton County to, um, you know, engage in this modern contemporary work, workforce that we have, right? You know, I, I, I was very recently part of a visioning session for the Howard Middle School, and the videos we were watching uh, was all about how education has changed over the last 100 years. So we have an education system that was based on the manufacturing model of Ford uh, and how we got to bring that up to date to what the workforce needs now. Are, are, are we at all in danger of just being in the same position 50 years from now? Uh, is that even a concern we should have, or, or are we so focused on our people right now I'm just I'm just curious uh, from an educational philosophy perspective. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of both actually. Um, if we're preparing students for the jo- only the jobs we have now, then we're we're not meeting the demands that really they're going to be faced with when they graduate or they're into the workforce uh, within a few years of graduating. Uh, one of the the technology is just changing so fast and the landscape changes so fast that most technical programs that a student might start let's say to chattanooga state uh the the equipment that they're training on is actually outdated in the marketplace before they even finish their credentials so uh, it's not so much just training students for the jobs that are there when they graduate but also helping them uh, get equipped with the skills that they're nimble enough within the workforce to also access the jobs five years from now, seven years from now, or to be able to understand how they can upskill to access those jobs down the road. Yeah, so we're really entering into this process with the knowledge that, you know, what's needed now is not what's going to be needed in 5, 10, 15 years. So how can we focus on the broader way of equipping these, uh, equipping people to engage this? Whereas, yeah. you know, with the Model, a, Model T, you know, production line, the, they might not have seen an end to that. Yeah, right? and and as you look as technology has changed through the years, and the the car industry is one of those significant changes. When we went from horse and buggy to the car, it was everyone was up in arms of of this big shift, and uh, you know uh, carriage makers were going crazy, like what's going to happen to our industry? Well, we had another industry replace it, the car industry that has you know a great deal of the backbone of our economy revolves around cars or traveling and uh, as we look at this current shift in advanced manufacturing and even technology shifts like self-driving cars that are definitely on the horizon within the next decade uh, it's a different kind of shift because uh, it's not about the workforce just learning new skills and working in a different factory. We also have this convergence of AI at mm-hmm. the same time that are uh, taking the place of a lot of advanced manufacturing jobs that where one or two people might be employed on three shifts in a day, we've got a robot that can fulfill that same role. So it's it's a significant change from the jumps in technology we've had in the past and and how we need to prepare students to enter the workforce uh, versus that industrial model you referenced earlier well i know one of the questions you guys get all the time is 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 chattanooga 2.0 
really a coalition um, because it's definitely how, how it's talked about. It's, it's bringing together all these community partners. It's living into that sort of Chattanooga way of pulling in public, private, um, and business leaders all into the same, same conversation. Um, so talk about Chattanooga 2.0 as a coalition. Yeah, it, it definitely is a coalition. And uh, within that coalition, we have partnerships. And I think some people use those two phrases synonymously. But uh, within a coalition, you've got a very diverse set of stakeholders and organizations, nonprofit businesses, parents, educators that um, might disagree on seven out of 10 things, but as long as they're agreeing on three out of 10, like high quality public education and agreeing on uh, two bold goals like we have, then you don't have to agree on the other seven things that might be political or philosophical. And so our coalition has done a great job of galvanizing around our two bold goals, but also this moment for the community. And then after uh, we get the coalition established, which we have, uh, I think, in a a very uh, robust way, then you can start to develop uh, specific partnerships around programs and strategies. And within a partnership, you you do basically have to agree on Mm -hmm. 10 out of 10 things. And so that's really been our role as we convene different coalition members to find out what partners match up well to get some of the strategies implemented or do some of the work. So uh, we've had several great examples of that. So uh, in a broad sense, definitely a, a coalition. And when you get more into the weeds, you'll find that we have different partners working together. Well, you know, I know over the past two years, I think I'm just hearing, you know, getting updates from Chattanooga 2.0 and, and kind of hearing you talk about it. Uh, out of these sort of three focus groups between early early childhood education, K-12, to and then post-secondary, sort of the area in these first two years you guys have seen the most success has been in that early childhood education uh, piece, and um, it w- which really shouldn't be a surprise, right? Because uh, when you're working with K-12 to kids, they might not have had that early childhood education and then you, when you, once you get to post-secondary, you know, it just stacks up. Um, so really starting at the almost the base of this pyramid with early childhood education, you know, I'd love to hear from you uh, what's been really successful with that working group with fo- in that focus area of early childhood. Yeah, and I think one of the primary reasons that this group in particular has been most successful uh, as far as an action team goes and, and done a, a greater body of work is they were one of the first groups to come together within our coalition as organizations and say, you know what, we have to do business differently than we've been doing it as a community in this space, that we've got a lot of great programs that are being implemented around early childhood, but they're very siloed off. Each organization is in their corner of the the room doing their work and Uh, Even though there might be some overlap, we didn't have a lot of communication and coordination around that. So from the first month that we started having these conversations, these groups were the ones that stepped up and said, okay, we've got to get out of our silos. We need to figure out how we can turn $1 into $3. We need to see where the overlap is and see what the best fit models and the partnerships could be. And they really embraced that, uh, not just from a programmatic sense, but from a philosophical sense. And so uh, they have done some great work uh, in 
the Chattanooga Basics is a, a prime example of that where multiple organizations are owning different parts of that. We've taken this approach of uh, saturating the community with the basics and the supports that parents need to promote the cognitive development of their children. Including hospitals at this point, right, and newborns? Yes, that's part of our – when we say birth to career, we, we mean birth. We've got volunteers that meet parents of uh, newborns in the labor and delivery hospitals and equip them with toolkits they can take home that uh, – help them support their child's cognitive development uh, also we get their contact information so we can continue to stay in touch and send them resources like our ready for k text program and that also uh, intertwines the basics within that program so it's uh it's been good to see multiple partners uh really uh give an example of how you don't have to own a program at one organization. You can own parts of it. I mean, right now we uh, we just hired a director of the Chattanooga Basics that will oversee this immersion and saturation campaign and the, that's housed at one organization. And then we've got someone that does the marketing social media side that uh, works with this person that's housed at another organization. And that's uh, unusual to have that kind of flexibility and, and working relationship between organizations. Yeah, and I, and I do want to make a note, like despite the name of Chattanooga 2.0, really this is a countywide, uh, Hamilton County-wide initiative. These are Hamilton County-wide goals. Uh, and, and so this sort of immersion and, and um, saturation you're talking about, uh, that's been all over the county, correct? Correct. And, you know, we sometimes we get some pushback on why it's not Hamilton County 2.0. and It just doesn't have a to it. Well, I, I tell, I joke with people um, that may live in different communities in the, the county that I say, okay, if you're in Destin, Florida on vacation, do you tell someone you're from, uh, you know, X community or yeah. do you say you're from Chattanooga? Cause yeah. you know, that's, uh, so, uh, and, uh, honestly we did, a, we did a Google search on Hamilton County and, and our Hamilton County is like the fourth one that pops oh, up wow. uh, in United States. Yeah. So there's a little bit of PR behind that strategy behind that as well. Okay. Well, great. Well, and I, I know another thing too, you know, we're talking about stuff that's been implemented. It, it's, it's not just programs, but it's also strategies. And one of those strategies you guys have focused on over the past two years has, has been really, uh, again, saturating Hamilton County um, with uh, talking about ACEs and, uh, and organizing different events for social workers, teachers, counselors, basically anybody who interacts with children at all, and hopefully the broader public, to talk about um, ACEs, which is uh, Adverse Childhood Experiences. Uh, do you want to mention that real quick? What, what is that? Yeah, and that is uh, a big part of its awareness is mm -hmm. to help people understand that uh, through this assessment that's really simple that helps identify traumatic instances that a, a child may have encountered at home or experienced at home or outside of school that affects the way they learn in the classroom. And, the, and these, uh, there's a lot of research to back up how these experiences affect their ability to learn and just interact socially sometimes. So it's a good context setter for educators or anyone that deals with children to understand why they may be disruptive in class, why they may not be getting their homework done, why they may seem disengaged or seem um, overly active, hyperactive. And 
so it's it's not so much a strategy to address issues, but it's uh, a strategy to help adults understand why children may be acting the way they're acting. Yeah, so even last night we hosted, um, in partnership with Children 2.0 and the city in Prevent Child Abuse Tennessee, we hosted a, a film screening of Resilience, which is all talking about ACEs. And um, it was pretty awesome. The, the, the head of Prevent Child Abuse Tennessee said, you know, Chattanooga and Hamilton County uh, are by far doing more of this uh, sort of awareness campaign, education campaign around adverse childhood experiences than any other place in Tennessee at this mm-hmm. point. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's a phenomenal study. And, um, you know, I even had people that I know uh, in the community, you know, come up to me afterwards and say, wow, you know, I, when I was a, running a youth camp, you know, I, I, for children and inner city kids, I wish I had known this, right? Mm-hmm. Like it would have transformed how I interact with the kids. Um, and that's, that's, that was the whole point. You know, is there anything else, you know, over the past two years that you're really proud of when it comes to this early childhood working group and, and some of the stuff they've accomplished and implemented? I think one of the shining examples, not only of this early matters group, but also just 2.0 in general and how we promote collaboration uh, is our camp kindergarten program that we hosted this past summer. Uh, It's a program for specifically geared towards students who might not have had a pre-K experience the year before to help them get the foundational skills they need going into kindergarten to help them start learning on day one and or a student that might have had a pre-k program but the teacher still felt like they needed additional supports over the summer to get them ready for kindergarten and uh, we first floated the idea out to the early matters group uh, really march of this year so only had about three months to plan it two and a half months and uh, as with most of the work they do they did amazing job of coming together and uh, it really exemplified what 2.0 is about, where we had an idea, we had a goal, and then we started convening the right people, and over 20 different organizations came together to pull off this program. Uh, we had UTC providing student teachers, we had Chattanooga State providing student teachers, we had uh, Hamilton County Schools providing master teachers, and then using new hires that they had uh, made in elementary grades this summer as part of their onboarding. So we had four adults in the classrooms working with these uh, children. We had almost 300 students that were enrolled, and uh, we had 20 classrooms at 13 different schools. So uh, it was a a really robust program, uh, especially one that was uh, only had two and a half months of planning. And when we looked at other examples across the country of programs like this, most of them had full-time staff that worked yeah. all year to plan <laughs> a program like this. But, you know, our, our group is just so great. They just came together and, and without, uh, you know, a, an official coordinator other than uh, Robin Casey, who's our director of programs, uh, you know, they, they just got it done, and we have saw phenomenal results from that this summer and the progress those those kids made. So uh, that's really a, a, a shining star, not only in that group, but just 2.0. If When I want to point out how our role as conveners and how this community really steps up in their partnerships. Yeah, so are you guys able to track these students that went through the, the camp kindergarten program and, you know, Look at their entrance kindergarten exam, you know, testing and assessment and post-kindergarten. Yeah, absolutely. So we gave uh, the students a pre-test on day one, and then we gave them a post-test uh, at the end of the program. 
And uh, so we've got that comparative data that overwhelmingly showed a significant growth for the majority of students. And uh, we also uh, have some comparative data on students that uh, had no pre-K experience compared to students that went through camp kindergarten to see if there was a noticeable difference there. We're still waiting to get that data back as uh, all the kindergartners finish up their beginning of the year assessments. But, uh, you know, it was it's, it's easy to track whenever you're able to uh, start with the, the standardized assessments that yeah. the school uses. So uh, hopefully we'll those results will help us scale this up next year. Yeah, I, I imagine uh, the, to me this is the hardest part about your guys' work and just the work of the community in Chattanooga 2.0 all the way around is so much of the, the results of, of all the work you're putting in right now isn't going to be harvested for, you know, five years from now, right? Like, like, like it'll be a true test of Chattanooga basics, you know, once that group of kids, you know, four years from now is entering into kindergarten, and then three years after that when they're taking their third grade reading tests, you know, these, these major benchmarks of achievement for children. Yeah, and I think I mentioned this last time that uh, you had me on the, the podcast that this is really an 18-year strategy, and that's a little bit... Um, you know, alarming for some people, especially in our instant gratification culture we're in, yeah. where people want to see results tomorrow. But if we're truly going to have this cradle through career continuum that we're supporting, then it's not even five years from now. Five years from now, the work's just beginning. If we can show that we can get kids kindergarten ready, now how do we keep them on grade level from then on out and, and get kids out of this cycle of catch up that we're in right now? Because if you look at third grade reading, if you look at middle school scores and our uh, college and career ready rates across the district, then over half our kids are not on grade level uh, at any of those milestones. So it's not just about getting kids on grade level when they enter school. How do we keep them there for the next 13 years? Well, over the past two years, you know, you guys, while you guys have been at work, uh, you know, some of your closest partners in this effort uh, have seen some big changes, right? So with HCDE, uh, we now have a new superintendent in Dr. Brian Johnson. So I'm just curious what that relationship has been like uh, for you guys. And I'm really, you know, I, I would imagine it's been good. But so I'm more, more asking the question of bringing on a new leader, a new partner, somebody who, who you know, is going to have a big influence on all this work, you know, has it, has it been difficult trying to have you guys had to slow down or shift what you're doing uh, because we have a new leader within HCDE? Yeah, we've, we've had a great partnership with the district from day one. I mean, uh, Rick Smith, who was one of the founding partners of uh, 2.0, was at the table every time we met. And then uh, when we had an interim superintendent, Dr. Kelly, uh, he was at the table every time we met. And so the district's always been engaged. Um, you one would think that there would be a little bit of a natural slowdown just to bring somebody up to speed when a new leader right, comes yeah. on board. But uh, Dr. Johnson had really done his homework on 2.0. He saw the value in these partnerships that were already created in this coalition that was already created in the community. Uh, and when he actually came for his interview and was doing his presentation to the board and then he was having his community uh, Q&As with stakeholders, he referenced 2.0 multiple mm -hmm. times, and he knew about the action teams, he knew about the strategies, the goals, 
And so uh, he was bought in before he even got the job, yeah, that's great. Uh, which was, uh, you know, it was a blessing for us. And, uh, and I said this when it was actually a question I asked of all the superintendent candidates, um, you know, when most of the time when a new leader comes into a school district, they have to create a coalition like this or they reach out to the business community. And so I said, we've got this coalition here now. How would you leverage that? And so the, it was uh, not just a, a positive thing for us that he had done his homework and he bought into these, uh, the philosophies we were promoting and the strategies, but it was um, uh, helpful to the district, I think, that he was already up to speed and not having to create something uh, brand new that um, the business partnerships were there. So if anything, the work really accelerated when Dr. Johnson came on board, because he didn't he didn't waste any time uh, trying new things, trying to be innovative, um, very willing to fail fast and learn from that and, yeah. and try new things. So, uh, thankfully, it's it's I think the pedal hit the metal whenever he came on board. Well, I mean, speaking of trying new things, you know, we just recently launched these Future Ready Institutes within our high schools. Um, and those seem perfectly aligned with the goals of Chattanooga 2.0. So I'm kind of curious, uh, how did that come about? Was that, was that Chattanooga 2.0 or uh, was that more HCDE and you guys were able to work together on this? Um, talk about the Future Ready Institutes. Yeah, it's a, another great example, I think, of how 2.0 can support uh, strategies in the community. This was actually a, a Dr. Johnson idea. The first I heard about it, we were having breakfast one morning and he said, hey, I've got this idea for uh, career academies. And he sketched it out on a napkin and slid it across to me. And uh, at that time... It's like the he, classic innovation yeah, story. <laughs> <laughs> he, I wish I'd have saved that napkin, actually. Yeah. And um, uh, he said, yeah, we we'll maybe have four to six of these uh, academies. And, and uh, it has grown now to uh, over 20 academies in less than a year. But... Uh, this was in really November of last year, end of October, and so uh, I actually told the paper, uh, I guess a, a couple weeks ago, they were asking me uh, to give perspective on Dr. Johnson's first year, and I said, you know, very few superintendents would have had the backbone to come into a district yeah. and, and uh, uh, try to implement something at this scale as the future rating institutes and engage as multiple partners that it will take yeah. to pull this off so um hats off to him and the district for helping uh to promote something that aligns so well with 2.0 i mean it's perfectly aligned not only with some of our k-12 strategies but our workforce development post-secondary strategies so uh but i would imagine it's the networks and the coalition that you're going to 2.0 has been able to build over the last two to three years that really allowed that to go from an idea in October, November to we have these academies right now. Yeah. And I, we definitely, I think, had helped create a, I say we, our, our business partners uh, and our coalition members had created this ecosystem where we were, number one, willing to try new things. I mean, that's the, the Chattanooga way, anyway, in our entrepreneurial spirit in Chattanooga and Hamilton County. But also we had already uh, convened the business partners and business community and other organizations that were needed to support 
a massive initiative like this. So they were at the table. It was just a matter of Dr. Johnson presenting this as a potential strategy. And, you know, I, I haven't heard anyone going back to October when I first heard about it that hasn't felt like this was a great idea and, and tried to support it uh, on multiple fronts. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, for me personally, I think that's, that may be, the way you just described that, maybe the most exciting thing to me about Chattanooga 2.0 is that for, for two years now, you've put in a, a lot of really hard work building a coalition, building this community, to where when a new idea hits the table, I mean, it, it, it can just happen so quickly, right? And so, so it's exciting to think about two years from now what could possibly have been created that hasn't even been put down on a napkin yet, right? But we have the infrastructure in place for when that moment happens you know, it, it, it can happen very quickly. Yeah, and that, I think, again, hats off to our coalition that they're willing to continue to come back to that table. Uh, and that's when when people ask me, what's the, the difference in 2.0 and other collective impact organizations? I always point to the fact we've got decision makers at the table from various organizations and businesses that continue to come back sometimes week after week uh, when we have meetings or convenings and uh, it it makes a big difference when those decision makers are there that either control money or people or both and it helps really accelerate ideas it also helps in getting uh, genuine authentic feedback Mm -hmm. on ideas i mean when you have brilliant people like we do on our core team our 2.0 core team and our 2.0 steering committee that uh, some of the smartest people across hamilton county that can help you vet an idea and really think through an idea uh, that helps even more really sometimes than the resources they might bring to the table well, I think that really, you know, does get into the four A's. And I know, um, you know, you recently had a big two-year celebration event where you really talked about the four A's and, and using this as a model, for, as a framework for pushing Chattanooga 2.0 into the future. And those, those four A's are align, amplify, accelerate, and agile. And so I, I'd really like for you to briefly to go through each one of those. Tell, tell us about um, align. Yeah, and, and those, we started actually three A's. That's how we ended our year one program uh, and uh, the first day align, we really wanted to make sure that we align our priorities across the community. So for us, that starts with the two bold goals, and we have additional metrics that we uh, hold ourselves accountable to, but ultimately all those 13 other metrics, feeding into those yeah, big they ones. feed up yeah. to the big ones. And so we've, we felt like that uh, since those metrics and the two bold goals were created and accepted by the community, that uh, whether it's uh, elected officials or parents or educators or businesses, that we wanted to make sure everyone in whatever space they were working, that that they had alignment uh, and felt like they could buy into those goals and the direction we're heading. So um, alignment is important to make sure that we we start right and we finish uh, correctly. And then uh, accelerate... um, is uh, accelerating strategies and that we just talked about that with the future eddy institutes that we want to be in a position so that when a strategy comes that we either pilot or that we want to catalyze a new idea that we've created the capacity in the community to really uh, implement new ideas in a uh, 
an expeditious way, but also, again, be willing to fail fast and to learn from those mistakes and to go on to something next. Or if we find something works like Camp Kindergarten, then how do we accelerate that work and scale it up? So accelerate's a big part of our work and just creating this ecosystem for the work to take place. Then amplify messaging as we uh, align those priorities and we accelerate strategies, we want to make sure that we're telling that story across the community, that we're highlighting these proof points that where partners are coming together and doing great work. So it's uh, one of our roles is to make sure we are that voice for our coalition members. Yeah. And then uh, shortly after our year one event last year, uh, Robin Casey came to me and said, you know, as, as she, she's the one that has the most contact with our action teams. She talked about how they were so uh, nimble and responsive and talked about the innovation that was going on. And she said, you know, I think we need to add another A. She said we need to add agile because we've got this agile innovation that's taking place across all our action teams. We've got a, a specific innovation action team, but uh, when you look at the work that's going on, really there's an innovative component to all the action teams in 2.0 Coalition. So I was glad she brought that suggestion, and that's really been one of our more powerful A's, That even though we didn't uh, start with it last yeah. year. But uh, I'm, I'm glad Robin brought that because I think it also really exemplifies the work of 2.0. Well, I mean, speaking about innovation, I know uh, it was just announced uh, that Chattanooga 2.0 has partnered with the Chamber to actually create uh, an Innovation and Education Award. Um, I, was, I was curious if you could just tell us a little bit about that. Like, what, what are you guys looking for um, as people, you know, are thinking through the ed- education? Like, what, what does that look like? Yeah, you know, the Chamber's had the, the Innovation Awards uh, for a while now, and as our action teams were meeting, in particular our Innovation Action Team, you know, that they felt like that we needed to specifically highlight a program in Hamilton County that exemplified um, uh, a new approach, something that was outside the box, something that hadn't been tried before, and it was having a significant impact in the K-12 space. And so um, it's not necessarily for a person it's it's really geared toward more towards a program and and obviously highlight the people that are responsible for creating that and supporting that program but um that's uh we really want to make a concerted effort to uh again amplify that that message so we wanted to highlight some great work going on in the community in that k-12 space yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. I can't wait to see. Um, it's kind of like I, I really look forward to Teacherpreneur every year and, and seeing what, what it is that our, our educators and people who are involved in education kind of think up with, with that program. I think this is very similar. So I'm, I'm excited to see sort of what comes out of this and, um, and who, who, who the recipients are of this award. You know, really to, to close this interview this time, I'm, I'm actually very interested in you and asking you a few questions. You know, um, I, I would imagine that this has been incredible incredibly hard work at different moments over the past, you know, you've been, it's two years old, but you've been doing it for two and a half, three years at this point. Um, has there ever been a point where you've you know, struggled with burnout um, and doubts? And because um, this is big, it's, it's not a small thing. Yeah, I think um, if you don't ever struggle with doubt and a little bit of burnout, you're probably not working hard <laughs> enough and your goals probably aren't big enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's never been really uh, a doubt in this community. Um, 
or the work that's being done, it's, it's probably more doubt in myself <laughs> to make sure that we're coordinating it in a, a way that's making a significant impact uh, because there are so many moving parts in this. I mean, one one meeting in the morning, you you're might be meeting about babies, and then after lunch, you're meeting about college students. So <laughs> um, you got to wear a lot of hats. And uh, probably the, I guess the times I've been most frustrated is that um, as a former educator, a teacher, and a principal, you're used to implementing programs and really being able to just take the reins of something, implement it, and see some results um, pretty quickly if, if you're being effective or not. And with coalition work, you know, you're really empowering other people to do work. So you're somewhat dependent on organizations and other partners that are created, partnerships that are created to implement the work. And so, uh, and so a lot of the times it's people that are um, doing this work outside the scope of their normal nine to five job. It's missionary work for some folks. And so uh, you, you might not get um, the timeline you always want to get something done. You know, I always want stuff done yesterday. Um, but, you know, when you look back at the work this community has done and some of the things they've implemented so quickly, I mean, it, it really is a testament to the buy-in that people have had. So, um never doubted the coalition probably doubted my ability to to wear about 20 different hats some days so but um it's been exciting so you know as you've been doing this work you know what what is something you feel like you've learned about community development over the past two years that maybe as a principal as a teacher you never would have learned right like uh yeah well i i think actually one thing i did learn as a principal that related to community development is that anytime you have a top-down strategy no matter how good it is no matter how sound the theory is if the people implementing don't buy in and don't have some uh, part in the creation of the strategy that it's probably not going to get implemented with either fidelity or passion and as we uh, started this work uh, we said from day one it was very important for the community to buy into this, not only the moment in time for this community, the burning bridge moment, but also into the development of the strategies that they felt like would make a difference. And so um, anytime you do community building, it doesn't, I feel like if you don't have a grassroots and a grass tops buy-in where people feel a part of the process and they feel ownership in what's going on, then it's going to fall flat or it's going to be, you know, a mile wide and inch deep versus really having some depth and some sustainability. And so um, I think this community, since we didn't do it top down, since we didn't just try to come in with um, a bunch of money and programs and say, okay, Hamilton County, we're here to save you. You know, it was really how as a community do we help ourselves, help our children, help create talent pipelines that didn't exist, you know, three years ago. Uh, That's been the biggest uh, litmus test for me to see that this is true community development, that uh, the community feels ownership in this. 
Well, I'm sure you guys get people coming to you all the time at this point. You know, if somebody were to come to you, Jared, and say, hey, you know, we really want to start something like Chattanooga 2.0 in our own community, you know, where do, where do you tell them to even begin? Like, how does that process get started? Uh, one, I think you have to do a pulse check and figure out where the gaps exist. I mean, that was the reason for our first report we did released in fall 2015 is really show in one spot what the continuum looked like birth through career. Uh, and then decide, you know, um, with the gaps that that particular community might have, if you really want to tackle birth through career work. I mean, I know a lot of communities that say they do that work, but they end up focusing on one specific part, and that's fine. Uh, it's actually better to focus on one part and do that well than, you know, not uh, just kind of play at right. the entire continuum. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I would say make sure you can commit to the entire continuum if you're going to call it collective impact and, and uh, cradle through career work. Um, and then I think it's key to have the decision makers at the table from the beginning. Don't have things baked up already. Really yeah. let people be a, a part of an authentic uh, development process. Well, Jared, I'm going to get you out on this one. You know, as you so looking back, we kind of we kind of looked back at the last two years. As as you look forward in the next two years, what is something that you're probably most excited about? I think uh, seeing the the fruits that uh, uh, come from the Future Ready Institutes. I think it's not just about the credentials that um, will be uh, gained by students in three or four years. And it's not just about the new experiences for students in the next three or four years. I think it will be about the partnerships that were established and really creating a model to show that the school district, the business community, nonprofits, uh, faith-based organizations can all work together to support public schools to make sure there's a high quality public education and uh, I think it's also uh, for me success will look like uh, new partners we bring to the table and new sectors we bring to the, to the table you know I think there's a uh, great opportunity to engage private schools in the community I've talked to several private school leaders that uh, want to help support their community so how can we develop some partnerships there to make sure um, everyone that wants to engage in this and, and help our community become the smartest community in the South that we find a place for them at the table. Well, Jared, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for the work you're doing. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much to Jared Bingham for coming back on the podcast two years later. I can't believe it's been that long, both for the podcast and for Chattanooga 2.0. Hopefully 2.0 will continue long into the future, play that long game that Jared talked about, and really begin to change the future for so many people within our community. If you want to learn more about Chattanooga 2.0, then please explore the links in the show notes to this episode and follow them on social media. Well, thank you to Charles Allison of the Chattanooga Public Library for producing this episode. The studio at the library has been open for months now, and if you haven't checked it out yet, you need to go by to the second floor. Whether you are thinking about a podcast, a song, or if you're just interested in learning more about audio engineering, they have an opportunity for you. Like I mentioned, the Camp House podcast is two years old now. We started this to be a resource in order to connect, inform, and inspire you about what is happening here in your community. 
So thank you all for listening in these last two years. And if you haven't yet, I would truly appreciate it if you leave us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also subscribe to the podcast, and you can always share this episode with a friend at thecamphouse.com slash podcast. Well, have a great day, and we'll see you back here next week.